You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning. How is everybody today? Good. So I'm going to start today off kind of like Pastor Michael did a couple weekends ago with a question. And that question is, how many of you remember the overwhelming anxiety that you had on the first day at school in the lunch cafeteria? Just me. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, I'm the only fat band geek that had anxiety. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Good talk. Glad we had it. So let me explain it to you. If you don't remember that, your heart drops to your stomach and then it drops to your butt and you're looking around and you don't see either of your only two friends in the entire building and they don't share lunch with you and you're trying to find your table and you don't know where to sit because you don't know anybody. Because we try to surround ourselves with people who like us, people who are like us. We walk past all the tables that aren't us and it ends there though, right? It ends in high school, it ends in middle school. That's the only place you try to fit in, right? No. No, doesn't end there. We're constantly trying to find our people. And once we find the boundaries of our tables, that tells us who's not our people, who to avoid, who not to sit with, and who our people are. As adults, we segregate ourselves financially. If you can afford to do these lavish vacations with me, then you're in. If not, then you're out. We segment ourselves on how we accept or deny the LGBTQIA community. If you see the world that way that I see it, you're in. If not, then you're out. We do it politically. <laughs> if you affiliate with my party, you're in. If you don't, <laughs> you're off Facebook. We're no longer friends. We do it by race, by religion. In fact, us Christians are really known for being the worst at this. As Christians, it's more common that we are known for what we're against and not what we're for. We create these little groups or cliques or just tables of people that are just like us. They believe like us and those are the only ones that are in. Then we begin to demonize anybody that doesn't fit into that mold or that group. What we'll be talking about today is a bit of a challenge. We've been talking about becoming like Jesus and what that looks like. What we're going to learn about Jesus today is that though we surround ourselves with people that are just like us, people that make us comfortable because they think and act just like us, we're going to learn that Jesus wasn't really like that. And a thought that might make your toes curl a little bit, Jesus wouldn't like that. He wouldn't like that. This is one of the most challenging things when interacting with Jesus, though. Because we want to know what our table is and where to sit at, who our people are, what is our group, because it lets us know who's not one of us, who's on the outside, who should we avoid. But Jesus constantly broke through those barriers. He invited all kinds of people to the table. He was offering a seat to people that we wouldn't deem worthy of a seat. Although our society is becoming more and more diverse day by day, which is a beautiful thing, at the same exact time, it's becoming more divided and more segregated. It's becoming nearly impossible to disagree with somebody and maintain a relationship with them. I'm gonna repeat that again. It is becoming nearly impossible to have a disagreement with somebody and maintain a relationship with them. That's crazy. 
According to an article that I read, in the very close 1976 contest between Democrat Jimmy Carter and incumbent Republican Gerald Ford, about 26% of voters lived in one of the politically lopsided counties. That percentage increased steadily throughout the decades. In 92, 37.7% lived in a landslide county. In 96, 42%. In 2004, 48.3% which then increased to 50.6% in 2012, and in 2016, 80% of counties won in a landslide vote. You see, this is happening because we're finding our people, and we're clumping together. We're finding communities that look like us, that talk like us, that act like us, that believe like us, and that agree with us, and then we reaffirm what we believe with opinions and articles that think just like us. The problem with this is, it's a problem with Jesus. He didn't live like this. He was quite good at including people that didn't think like him and trying to see things from the other side and other perspective. For those of you that don't know, I'm the youth director here at Calvary. That's kind of like the youth pastor. I stand in the place for the youth pastor. I'm just not credentialed, but I'm working on those. Coming to you soon. Pastor Ron and I uh, took a trip last week, two weeks ago, I don't know, time's flying. But we took a trip down to Florida, to Orlando, and we went to the Next Gen Conference. This is a conference where they taught us how to come alongside the next generation and help them on their journey with Christ and how to guide them and how to disciple them. So being um, the youth director, I deal with the teenagers, and one of the biggest challenges that our youth faces right now is the LGBTQIA plus challenges that they face in their everyday life. There was a breakout session that was led by District Youth Director of Northern California, Char Blair. The breakout session that she was hosting was called I Identify As. And I was like, this is exactly what I need. I need someone to tell me how to handle these situations. While she was speaking, she told this story, and it was such an amazing visual to me. She said that she was at the California Pride Parade, which happens in Sacramento, California, in the middle of June. She said it was north of 100 degrees, it was super hot, and her and a couple of her friends from church were handing out cold bottles of water to the people that were participating in the Pride Parade. She said while she was there, there was a church that wasn't with their church that was lining the sidewalks of the street. And they had signs, and the signs said things like, you're gay because your parents hate you. Jesus hates you. You're going to hell. Get it together now before it's too late. She said she walked up to one of the guys, and she's like, has your sign ever brought anybody to God? And he was like, not yet. And she's like, if it would have, I'd have picked one up, bro. I'd have picked one up and joined you. But she said as she was handing out these ice-cold bottles of water, she looked to the right side of the street where she saw this church but there's signs of hatred. And then she looked to the left side of the street and she saw color, music, dancing, celebrations, love, acceptance. And she said as she looked at these two parallels, she heard God speak to her. And he said, this is where I called the church. This is where I walk. He doesn't walk on the extreme hatred side, and he doesn't walk on the pride side, but he walks in the middle. That is where Jesus walks. 
That is where he called the church to be. And I think that that is such a beautiful visual. You see, it's not about who's in the seat. We've gotten so focused on who's on the seat, but it's about who's washing the feet. Jesus didn't wash the feet of Pharisees or other religious leaders. He washed the feet of outcasts, of people in the lowest parts of society, of those others overlooked or abandoned. In fact, he made many of those his disciples, even Judas, the one who would betray him. Now imagine if you lived in a context where you felt like no matter what you did, you were never going to be accepted or welcomed. For many people, that's the way that they would characterize the bulk of their daily experiences. They feel unloved and can give you many examples of how they've been treated like unwanted, unloved, and unappreciated outcasts. That was certainly the case during the days of Christ's earthly ministry. In the context in which he was living and doing ministry, there were those who were considered the respectable and admired people of society, while others were considered unclean and unwanted. But Jesus didn't avoid the outcasts. He offered himself to them and gave them his time and attention, and then even asked them to join him on his journey to change the world. That's what the church needs to do. We need to give people the opportunity to become part of this church family. We need to meet the outcasts of our community with love, grace, patience, and then gentle truth. When we look to scripture, Jesus loved the easiest people to hate. In Mark 2, 15 through 17, it says, and as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. There are plenty of people that we may like and enjoy spending time with, well, there are plenty of others that, if we're honest, we might feel somewhat uncomfortable giving our time to. Maybe we're fearful of their bad reputation rubbing off on us. Maybe we feel pressure from others to avoid hanging out with people of certain backgrounds, ethnicities, lifestyles. I understand the dilemma that comes with that. We are influenced by those we choose to spend our time with, both for good and for bad. But I feel like that's where wisdom and protective guidance of the Holy Spirit comes into play. If we're going to love those easiest to hate, we need to have both of those. In the Gospels, this dilemma would often play out in the interactions Jesus had with others. There were the Pharisees who took great pleasure in burdening people with regulations and expectations that seemed ethical, yet often stretched the teaching or the heart of the Word of God in harsh and inaccurate ways. On the other hand, you had tax collectors and the other so-called sinners who didn't even bother conveying a sense of religious pretense. Yet Jesus, the sinless son of God, didn't appreciate the harsh hearts of the scribes and Pharisees. At the risk of being chastised by them, he was willing to eat with the tax collectors and sinners, and instead he enjoyed their company. Tax collectors at that time were particularly hated, like Matthew, who was hosting the dinner talked about in Mark 2.15. 
Jesus had just called Matthew to be one of his disciples. In celebration, Matthew threw a dinner party and invited his friends, the other outcasts. But Matthew was hated by many in that community because they viewed him as a traitor. He was likely excommunicated from the synagogue and despised for his um, allegiance to the Roman government. But Jesus was willing to look at Matthew, call him unto himself, enjoy a meal with him, transform his heart, and send him into this world as a new man. Matthew was once a disreputable sinner, but Jesus cleansed his sin and made him an apostle. It would have been socially accepted and even applauded if Jesus avoided outcasts like Matthew or even denounced outcasts like Matthew. But that's not what Christ did. Matthew was easy to hate, but Jesus loved him. Jesus wasn't worried about Matthew's reputation rubbing off on him. Jesus didn't sweat whether or not people would hate him too if he was seen with people like Matthew. Not only was he willing to eat with him, he was also willing to invite him to be part of his inner circle of friends and ministry partners. Who does this world hate that God is calling us to love? Are we willing to be seen with them, eat meals with them, and call them our friends? Or do we care more about the smug opinions of insecure and self-righteous people? Do we care more about being like Jesus and loving the outcasts? Or do we care more about the smug opinions of self-righteous people? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not given to us to hold on to and keep for ourselves. He came to empower us, to bring redemption to anyone in any situation, regardless of their status in society or in the church. I was an outcast. I actually still am sometimes. I mean, half hood, half holy, you know. That was supposed to be funny. Nobody laughed. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I was trying to lighten the mood a little bit. I got kind of serious there for a minute. But I was once a someone that Christians wouldn't be comfortable around. I can promise you that. I drank fairly heavily. I smoked some stuff that I should not have. I swore like a sailor. And I hung out with people whose presence might make some of you uncomfortable. But those were my people. Some of them still are, and they come to this church with me today because they've changed along with me, and it's awesome. But that's where I found acceptance. That's where I found unconditional love. But then I discovered that I can find those things through Jesus too. It took bold Christians who got comfortable with the uncomfortable to show me that I had other options, better options. Then I watched God work in my life and take the things that I thought were questionable about, questionable about myself and use them to make me qualified. Let me say that again. What I thought was questionable about myself, God redeemed and used it to make me qualified. And the same is true for you. God wants to use you to reach those that others might call outcasts. Jesus doesn't call them outcasts though. And he has called us to love them and invite them to him just as Matthew did in the story I shared earlier. So here's what I'd like you to do today. 
and this is going to be uncomfortable for some of you. When you came in, you were given a card with three lines on it. In a moment, we're going to sing a song together. And during that song, I want you to be thinking of three people that you consider outcasts in your workplace, in your community, in your family. I want you to write their names on those three lines at some point today and spend the next three weeks praying for them every day. And I mean every single day. You need to stand in the gap for these people because Jesus loves those people just as much as he loves you. And as you pray for them over the next few weeks, here's where the rubber meets the road. I want you to take a step of faith like Matthew and invite them to church on Easter Sunday. Sit with them, show them around, introduce them to people, make them feel like family because they are loved. Today before we leave, we're gonna respond to God's call with worship. This is a new song that says, to the outsider, send me. To the one in need, send me. To the least of these, send me. So as we stand and respond in worship, I want you to ask God, who should I be praying for over these next three weeks? Because remember, it's not about who's in the seat. It's about who's washing the feet. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 